everyone, welcome to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast that seeks to answer the question, is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? We began this podcast in 2020, and as with all independent podcasts, we've grown a lot in the last two years. Namely, our audio is much better now, but we still love our early episodes, and we hope you will too. You should know coming into this podcast that we sometimes use mature language and occasionally discuss mature themes that are involved in Greek mythology. We here at Seaweed Brain take a critical fandom approach to dissecting the PJO books and believe in the importance of analyzing what you love. Yeah, we're like Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird standing outside the changing room. I did not <laughs> understand that Laurie Metcalf reference. This is where she does that, I want you to be the best version of yourself you can be. And so she goes, what if this is the best version? And Laurie does that like head tilt and that's the end of the scene. That's us. Yes. We believe in the importance <laughs> and the possibility of critical discourse around pop culture. So we would love to hear your thoughts via Instagram at Seaweed Brain Podcast or hit us up on Twitter at Seaweed Brain Pod. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast where we discuss each Percy Jackson book in three parts and seek to answer the question, is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? Today, we'll be finishing up The Lightning Thief. Very exciting. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Third episode, very powerful. As we know, three is a powerful number in Percy <laughs> Jackson and in Greek mythology. I'm back. I'm Erica. Carter, hello. Yep. You can hear him giggling. Sure can. <laughs> and today, our special guest is my dear friend, Tawny. We've been doing this thing where we don't give our last names. <laughs> so, Alrighty. Welcome, Tawny. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Wait, what do you study in school? Don't tell me where you go to school. Just all right. Well, I, I study musical theater, and I'm I'm really? also you know getting a minor in musical theater composition. So I, I write things. Oh dang! Should we have had you to talk here to talk about the musical? Uh, we'll talk no. about that. <laughs> Okay. No. no one wants to talk about the musical. Anyway, <laughs> Tawny brought you here because I know you love these books and I know that you love Greek mythology and I know that you hadn't read them in a while, but you were a big fan when you were a kid. So what was your introduction into the books? Yeah, I don't think it was that like, you know, interesting. It was just like in like fourth or fifth grade, everyone was reading them. And so I was reading them and... It just, I don't know, I read them, like, definitely read them twice, if not three times throughout, like, elementary to middle school, and they were kind of life-changing. I don't know. Okay, so when you were in fourth and fifth grade, which is the exact same time I started reading them, what was your pronunciation of Percy Jackson's mentor, who is, like, the camp counselor? Uh, it, to be fully honest, it was... Kyron, you're gonna hate me. Oh my god, <laughs> this has been so boring. I was I was that awful kid that people. like corrected kids on their spelling wow. and their grammar. So I am a little. You no, know that shit. tracks for you. <laughs> that, that, that one hurts now. We've really been hands dry we by really didn't all of the guests so far. <laughs> Silent H's. It, it's nice that other people. Well, also Carter and I, we correct. Carter and I grew up in the same place, we but like Tawny and Julia grew up in California. I so, have silent H in my name, so, you know. 
Maybe that's it. It's too much personal information. Also that. Um, yeah. Cool. Did I have an... Oh, and then... Do you have, like, strong feelings about who your godly parent would be? Yes. It's funny. <laughs> when I read the books, I was like, I was like, Annabeth Chase is who I am. I'm Annabeth Chase. I'm a daughter of Athena. But then I grew up and realized I'm certainly a child of Apollo, period. Because mm. I feel like in my life, I'm a, I'm a helper. I'm a healer. I flock towards people who... Who are damaged. <laughs> <laughs> you want to put it that way uh okay um but yeah I don't know I I tend to like be a very just like I don't know helping person um and I am very much like a, a a poet and a musician and that's kind of like what I hope to build my life around so that feels a lot right. more right <laughs> now <laughs> I agree I definitely agree I also will say that like we clearly haven't really diversified our guest list because as carter said on the last episode we ride hard for ms chase we are all people who have identified with annabeth at one point or another <laughs> maybe that's just everyone maybe we'll find that out by the end of this podcast from our research and data collection that actually everybody did identify with annabeth one can only hope well, there you go because percy was too cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> okie dokie so i think that's all we got i think we should just do it dive in Diving in now, we're covering the last part of the Lightning Thief chapters 17 through 22. To clarify where we left off, we just got out of the Lotus Hotel. We realized that there's only one day left for the whole quest to, you know, get to L.A., find the bolt, get all the way back, return it. It's a big job. Lots of stress. They get out of the hotel. They get a cab to drive them all the way to L.A., which is... I found very humorous. That's power move. Powerful. Uh -huh. And as they're driving over, though, like they start to analyze Percy's dreams a little bit. And we we see them compound their previous doubts about the nature of the quest overall. They talk about Percy's dreams. They wonder, you know, does this make sense for Hades as the person that's being described? This sinister voice seem mm -hmm. like Hades. Seems like maybe not, but also something there's no older other, than Hades, something older. Annabeth maybe has an idea, but won't talk about it. But we're <laughs> she's got a as, plan. as is often the case. She but doesn't want to worry anyone yet. At this point, we are just sort of like Percy wondering, huh, that's a little bit weird. But oh, what else? Who else could it be? Right. We get to Santa Monica and Percy jumps off, meets up with the Nereid. Nereid? I, I don't know how to pronounce this. Ooh, we should have looked it up. We should have looked it up. It meets the sea spirit. The Lovely. sea nymph that he met by the arch, right? Um, off, off Santa Monica Pier. Get some advice from, we're led to Absolutely. believe, like, indirectly Poseidon, right? Like Yes, very indirectly. calm, about, you know, like, being suspicious uh, when it's mm -hmm. appropriate to be suspicious of things. Mm. And most um, directly usefully, we get these three pearls, right? We don't know, really yeah. know what they do, but, you know, they're, they're useful. They're a gift from dad. Which makes sense because we do know mm -hmm. that the whole point of this is to go to the underworld. Mm -hmm. So yes. we kind of assume like at this point, like we're going to need these to get escape from the underworld because like they say, like nobody has gone to the underworld and returned except for like Orpheus and Hercules. Yeah. Hercules. Yeah. Um, there is only three pearls, though. Very specific. And <laughs> pointing out that this was the entire plot of the film and it makes no sense <laughs> and it bothers me to this day. <laughs> So sad. Um, and yeah, we get this thing that like, again, the Santa Monica Pier is polluted. Annabeth is like, don't jump in there. And Percy's like, I don't care. I can see through the muck. But we're still we're still pushing this like Earth is destroyed. Earth is destroyed narrative. And uh, we like highlight the point that the gods can't 
interfere with their children, but they also can't show favoritism. And Percy's like, even to their own children? And the sea spirit lady is like, yeah, sorry about that. Says, especially their own kids. Yeah. We're, we're trying to justify why Poseidon's not there. Yeah, the gods are really absent, but then they're like, here's a special present and a once a year visit. Are you happy? Which is interesting because that's something that would gender that idea of an absent parent with a male parent. Mm-hmm. But we see that, you know, Annabeth's relationship with her mom is just as complex as Percy's relationship with Poseidon. We haven't met her yet, but we're going to very soon. <laughs> so after that little visit to the pier, they're like arriving into the actual city of Los Angeles proper. And Rick Riordan really takes his time here to just shit on Los Angeles. <laughs> we really just it's despicable wasteland. Not only is, is it the location of hell, um, but it's not cute and it's disorganized and it's big and loud and it's not enough for it to be disorganized. It has to be big and loud about being disorganized. And he even compares the city to Ares himself, who at this point, Caucasian human skin motorcycle, we we know he's the worst ever. <laughs> he's the worst of all time. And we didn't talk about this enough beforehand, but Rick Riordan really, who knows why, but the, the man loves New York City. He loves it. The man is from Texas, as far as I know, but yes. he loves New York City. And he clearly is like really enjoying this little New York City versus Los Angeles coastal elitism thing. And... <laughs> frankly contributed a lot to my idea of these two cities when I was a child it's still to this day still to this day like Tawny New York City versus Los Angeles I feel like I've had a similar view of these two cities even though like I'm from California and like grew up in LA a lot of it because my mom and dad's family a lot of their family is in LA but I don't know I've always like wished to be in in the the beautiful new york and i've I've been like la is polluted and ugly yeah it's like los angeles and new york are both dirty but at least new york is organized (laughs) it has lines it's a lot to unpack but i I support it and i appreciate it and i still clearly have this mentality to this day so i'm gonna thank uncle rick for that one and the first stop that we get in los angeles um going to the waterbed store they, they go to the water red store owned by someone named Krusty. I don't remember this person from the mythology, but like their whole thing is basically that they want everyone to be exactly six feet to fit the beds. So they're about to stretch Grover and Annabeth until they die. Percy kind of takes charge here, probably more than he's taken charge in the past from what we yeah, can see. Yeah, no, it's char- It's a character development moment for him. You, I like how you wrote in our notes, this is boring. <laughs> I always most- found this run-in kind of unsatisfying it's a little underwhelming after everything that has already happened i totally forgot that it happened until i was reading it and i was like oh yeah, yeah. this was a thing that were well, part of the it's kind of a deceleration it's very los angeles it's like a little underwhelming yes it's like oh it's dangerous i guess <laughs> silly dirty city i guess it's um, supposed to set us up with percy like having more you know like having more of a feel for what he's supposed to do and yeah understanding perhaps how to take on more serious challenges before they go into the biggest challenge of them all, the underworld. It's a big moment for him. It really is. Cause like, like Tani said, like I didn't really remember this moment, but looking back, like Annabeth and Grover basically get trapped and it's up to Percy to figure out how he's going to get his way out of it. Mm-hmm. And he has to use his wit. So we see again, like not only does he have these really cool magical sea powers, but he's also pretty smart and he's starting to understand like battle strategy and how to outwit the monsters. Um, and he takes it into his own hands. And after uh, he, you know, gets rid of the monster and bursts into <laughs> dust. Annabeth and Grover, they're like, oh my God, like, ow, like my body was just being stretched apart. And Percy's like, great. 
then you're ready for the underworld. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, Percy, where did they, where is this coming from? <laughs> this is so big. This is brave. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving on from that slightly boring run-in, but important. They're like running around for a while trying to figure out where the frick the actual entrance is. They find it and they run into Caron. Caron, as he indicates his name is pronounced, who is the famous guy in the Black Hood who rows everyone across the River Styx. But here he's got a hot Italian suit and some tortoiseshell glasses. Clearly would rather be in New York, honestly. (laughs) I feel like he is upset because he knows Los Angeles is disgusting. And he's dressing like a New York, like, metropolitan. Yeah, yes, that's the energy. They, they bribe him and they have this fun conversation uh, that reminds us of the fact that in the ancient Greek myths, right, like, people would be buried with coins underneath their tongues because is greedy. And he will only give you passage if you pay him. And he gives us this great monster. line about how death isn't fair, that death replicates all the inequities of life. Indeed. What we see throughout the series is that no matter where you look, no matter what level, what new like layers of of godly world you find, it's it's all the same. Like the the, the same mm. civilization inequities are perpetuated. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. they pay him. He's rowing them across the sticks, which is polluted. It's disgusting because we're told it's like full of humans, like dreams. They're discarded, wasted lives, wasted lives. And we, like, get, like, Annabeth, (laughs) little moment where she, like, grabs Percy's hand in the boat. Like, they're in this together. Grover's also there. (laughs) Love him. Third wheeling forever. And we get this, like, really interesting tour through the underworld as they're kind of being rowed through this air, mystical river of lost dreams. And we see all of the different places where people go, which is from, like, a scale of really, really, really bad to the Isles of the Blessed. Which has always, I've always wondered in this moment, like, are the humans judged in the same way that the demigods are judged? The the demigods, um, if they did a really great job of being a demigod, then they'll go to Elysium. And if they get Elysium three times, then they can go to the Isles of the Blessed, which Percy says it smells like barbecue. Very American, <laughs> like lovely. But what, ha- like, do, do the humans like automatically go to the fields of Asphodel or the fields of punishment because they can't do anything cool enough to land them in the Isles of the Blessed? I've always just been curious. Is it about doing enough or, or not doing enough bad stuff? Like, does it work like karma? Like- well, it's being judged by these. It's, like, arbitrarily yeah. judged. By- They're judged by bad people in particular. Like, they list off some of the judges. They mention King Minos, who, like, we hate, right? Like, this is the man who, you know, like, ran the labyrinth with his monstrous child in it and would feed humans to his monstrous child. This is a person who's deciding who gets who gets what in the underworld. Thomas Jefferson, do we need to talk about how bad Thomas Jefferson was? I mean, this is, I think we're all on the same page here. You know, we could Sully Hemings, etc. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting. And I've, I've wondered, I've wanted more details on that. And we sort of get the idea that, first of all, like, it's very crowded here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people. There's this huge line waiting to get judged. They describe it as looking like a toll road in, like, New Jersey, basically, which is funny because, (laughs) again, industrial, disgusting wasteland of built-over America. But there's, like, all these people waiting to get judged, and it's just an inefficient system, and it's just—it's crappy, and it's very upsetting. And I'm thinking, like, we clearly are in need of some afterlife renovation. Obviously, we can't do that right now. There's other things going on, but— we're going to need to reevaluate this in the grand scheme of things. But for now, they just need to get through the judgment line because they're not actually dead. Yes. 
And specifically in order to get through, they have to get past Cerberus, the three-headed guard dog of the underworld. <laughs> this is one of my favorite little uh, monster encounters in the books. Cerberus, like famously in Greek myths, he's never defeated, right? Like Hercules sort of like at one point wrestles him and kind of kidnaps him, but like he can't kill Cerberus. He's like giant powerful. And the way that they get around him is sort of like a, like a, cheat i want to say but not really a cheat like annabeth basically whips out her obedience school training from her like small kid days at home like with her like home home before she ran away um and has cerberus like play with her and like chase the ball and i i think this was the moment for me when we started to get more questions about like the old model that we have for how they deal with monsters right where basically if you have a monster a demigod hits it with celestial bronze it disappears into dust and we're all happy because monsters are unequivocally bad. Cerberus, this is a monster where we're led to believe, right, if you were to stab it with a celestial bronze sword, it probably wouldn't die, or else they would have tried that. But also, Cerberus is like a cutie. Cerberus just wants wants some some fun. <laughs> He's a good boy. <laughs> Annabeth saves the day. We're a little sad, but we make it through and we get to actually see the fields of Asphodel, which are so sad and so depressing. Oh my god. Imagine standing on a wheat field in Kansas forever. It's like the medium place, basically. And they're super overcrowded, too. We're, we're led to believe that almost everyone ends up here in this field of nothing. It's very sad. But a- a- after we've seen all of these these other parts of the underworld, right, we've, we've seen the fields of punishment, which are, like, deeply terrible, specific tortures. We've talked about Elysia and the Isles of Blast, the fields of Asphodel. There is the last part of the underworld that we're not planning to see, but Grover's shoes start acting up on their own and drag him towards this mysterious giant black pit that we very quickly realize is Tartarus. Tartarus, the the pit in the underworld. It's the lowest of the low points. This is where the enemies of the gods are sent. It looks like a black hole to them, right? Like they can't even comprehend what the bottom is. And Grover like barely doesn't get dragged in, but we're also you know, like this is raising some questions for us about the shoes. How did this happen? What is down there? We know that it's the worst monsters. And we know that from way back at the beginning of the book that certain people got mm-hmm. chopped up and sent there yes. many eons ago. But kind of all we're worried about right now is like, let's get Grover out. And like, we have a mission to do. We also, again, we only have a day and we've been burned in daylight. So we have to go and talk to Hades. And we're going to take a quick break before we go and visit Hades <laughs> and his greasy, greasy hair. All right. So after that thrilling um, almost fall into Tartarus, the deepest pits of hell, they recover and they head back over to Hades' palace. Once they're inside, Hades is, I believe, the third Olympian that we've met, right? We've met Dionysus. We've met Ares and now we're meeting Hades. And we don't like Hades either. We're 0 for 3 on this. We get a lot of greasy. We get a lot of descriptions of him being, I think they say, like, lean and scary, but most of Skeletal. all, yes, the the souls of the dead are like screaming from his black coat, which isn't great. I would say it's not a great look. They compare him to Hitler. They compare Te- him to Te- terrorists. Um, to terrorist leaders. Yes, he, he's described as having evil charisma. And once we get there, we're, we're terrified. But Hades is is angry, and he starts to question Percy, and in the process, reveal that he doesn't understand what's happening either. Right? Hades doesn't actually have the master bolt he doesn't want the war because hell as we've seen is way overcrowded already he, he doesn't need extra people just flowing in there and he 
is furious because his weapon is missing too. It's someone has stolen the Helm of Darkness, Hades's most but powerful then... weapon of power. It, it turns Hades into like darkness, right? It's an amped up version of Annabeth's Yankees hat. It doesn't just make him invisible. Yes. It turns him into shadow. Yeah. But it's missing. But it's still kind of cool Hades stuff, <laughs> not like the murdering Hades stuff. <laughs> so Hades is furious. He threatens to stop death to release all the undead into the world until he gets the helm bag, which he thinks that Percy has at this point, right? Right. And Hades is frankly, like, he's raring to do this. Like, he is like, please get rid of these souls. Like, it's like, everything so sucks so much down there. He is literally like, I don't know how to fix my job. Like, mm -hmm. please help me. He's like the mayor of a terrible, terrible city. And he just, it's like, there's too many political lines to like, <laughs> for him to just fix everything at this point. Like, it's been messed up and it's been messed up for a really long time. And we are going to need massive structural change in order to fix everything. Yeah, I, I think that specifically the the underworld, the images of the overcrowding and just like constantly waiting for judgment, just in our current state that our nation is in right now and talking a lot about prison reform and, you know, people people waiting for, for bail for, you know, forever. Like that there seems to be a similar issue here in, in the underworld for Hades. And that he kind of is like, you know, my, my hands are tied. I, there are all these different things we could do, like more security, but there's traffic. And, you know, you know, how do I fix it when it's been this way for so long? And, and you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of how, how it probably feels for a lot of folks right now. Yeah, like these people, these like dead souls are like, they're waiting their trial even. They're waiting in line. They haven't even got into the underworld yet. Right, and he's, so he's just sitting on his throne. He's overwhelmed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. It's not a great excuse for why you're not fixing it, but no, like, okay, I get that you're overwhelmed. It's not. <laughs> Rick Riordan is really, he, he's really put into these books, these these very real, because, I mean, the gods are just a reflection of the state of our Western civilization. So mm -hmm. obviously every structure within the mythological hierarchy is going to have the same issues that Western civilization is currently having. Mm -hmm. They're not just some beautiful, magical thing, as we well know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for three. Hades is, uh, he's threatening to release all the dead. The Furies are like, give us the bolt, like, give us the bolt. <laughs> I'm a hag. All that stuff. And Percy, he's feeling that his backpack is heavy and he reaches into his bag and he realizes that the bolt is in there. What? Crazy. Why? Huh? What did that? What? Like, it wasn't what? in there before. There's no, we know it wasn't in there's there before. No, oh, moment here. There's no like, I realize how this could have happened. We are literally so confused. There's some kind of magical intervention going on here. We, like somebody like, is did messing someone, things up. someone like sneak it in there when they weren't looking? Like Yeah. Was it in the underworld? Something funky is going on with this quest. It's It's got to be some kind of trap. But Percy pulls it out and Percy knows that like Hades has his mom and Hades is trying to use his mom as leverage. <laughs> Annabeth and Grover are like, you can't give him the bolt. And Percy's like, I know I can't give him the bolt. So they have the three pearls. And here's the moment where they're like, I came down here to get the bolt. Now I have the bolt. I'm not going to give it to Hades, obviously, because that's not the right answer. Hades has my mom. So now we're like, okay, we're changing gears. How are we going to get out of this mess? We only have three pearls. Percy decides to leave his mom. Yes. Which is big because... What a healthy relationship they have. <laughs> if Percy and Sally did not have this kind of trust that we have discussed in every single episode, he would not have just left his mom there. He would have had way more serious attachment issues and he would have left Grover like they did in the movie, which was dumb. Wait, what? what? I forgot about that. That's so <laughs> no, wild. No, I don't. 
<laughs> yeah, so it, it's like a big moment for him. He's like, you know what? This is going to work out, but right now I got to I gotta finish this quest. Time is ticking. Time is ticking. So just as like the skeletal demon soldiers are about to attack their trio, they smash the pearls and they go whoosh all the way up through the ceiling. They're like, oh my God, are we going to crash? And then they end up back at the Santa Monica Pier because everything returns to the sea. And who Ooh. is waiting for them at the Santa Monica Beach but... Aries. Aries who gave them the backpack. (gasps) So it's becoming clear to us. This is all Aries' fault. Aries gave them the backpack. He did some magic so that the bolt would appear there when they got to Hades. Aries also reveals to us that he has the helm. So Aries is, you know, he's been pulling a lot of strings on this quest. But quickly, it's also becoming apparent that Aries didn't plan this and he doesn't totally know what's up, right? Percy yeah. asks him, why don't, you, why don't you just keep the weapons? And Ares gets sort of confused, and he we hear that he's listening to some sort of voice. And that he's, he says he's been see. having dreams. Yeah, he's like, what yes. dreams? I'm not having dreams. And they're like, excuse me? And he's like, bleh, bleh. Sloppy baby, who's being controlled, we're pretty clear by someone. We don't know who at this point. Probably the voice in the pit. Probably the voice in the pit. I'm guessing. And so all of this is leading us up to basically a battle. Ares is saying... Percy can't go free. For his plan to work out, Percy needs to die. The Bolt can't get back to Olympus, mm-hmm. etc. Ares was expecting him to die in the underworld, but since that didn't happen, Ares is like, I'll just kill you now with my super war god battle skills. And Percy is like, hold up. I guess I'm in the ocean. Also, Ares is bringing out the worst in me as usual, so we're going to fight. And Annabeth and Grover are like, are you freaking crazy? <laughs> you trained at camp for like two days. This is a god. You think you're some hotshot because you tricked the waterbed salesman. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. And Annabeth is like, okay, well, take my necklace for good luck. Aww. Take my necklace for good luck. And it'll be like, a, not because I like you, but because it'll represent Athena and Poseidon working together. Then Grover gives him a tin can. <laughs> they fight and and it kind of goes surprisingly well. It's wild how well it goes. This is the moment where, in my opinion, we start to get a glimpse of how powerful Percy is. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, he's getting beat up. Like, we don't know if he's going to win because like Ares is obviously gone. And he's way better at fighting. But Percy is like, he's using the ocean to his advantage. He knows that if he gets in the water, he'll be powerful in ways that he doesn't even understand. Like his body starts going for him and he can like heal himself and basically, like, slash fight, whatever, whatever, he ends up stabbing Ares to the point where, like, the ichor, the golden blood of the gods, comes, like, seeping out of him. And at that point, we're like, oh my, what? Like, for me, I was like, did he just, are the gods, are they really, they're so weak and boring. Like, (laughs) if Percy could have stabbed Ares, the god of fighting, something weird is going on, or Percy is just really, really powerful. And Ares is like, fine, you bested me because I'm bleeding. You win this round, but hear me out, little twerp. You're going to feel the curse of Ares the next time you're in battle or sometime when you're in battle, I guess, and you're not going to win. But Ares disappears and he leaves Percy the helm, which he stole from Hades. And suddenly gathered all around, it's the cops! (laughs) Surprise! A little late to the party, but here they are, and apparently the mist is making it look like they were fighting with guns like they were having a shootout (laughs) 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 after the scene uh, percy returns the helm to the furies and they're sort of like "Mm, maybe we misjudged you but also you look delicious 
we'll see you around. <laughs> and they, they screwed out of there. They realized there's not a lot of time left. And so they got to get on a plane. Gasp! Plane? That's Zeus's terrain. But they, they get on a plane back to New York to, to return the Master Bolt. They make it back to New York, like barely on time. They run to the Empire State Building. They meet some like a very similar like gatekeeper type to Charon, who is guarding the elevator of Olympus. In my head, they're like the same person. <laughs> but they they ride up to the 600th floor and we see for the first time Olympus. And it's really cool. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a whole it's like, floating mountain above New York, but with like yeah. temples and like palaces. And fires that are eternally blazing. Ooh. And music and magical people. And I'm just assuming there's lots of trees and there's like golden fruit. I might be making that up, but like, yeah. it's, it's it's beautiful. And for the first time, we're sort of like, after all of this negative stuff about the gods and the negative gods that we've met, like, we're starting to feel like, okay, maybe this is, this is amazing. And like, I have pride in this and I revere this as being like the flame of my culture and my civilization. And they basically like no time to enjoy it. We got to we got to go. And they run all the way to what they assume, I guess, is like basically the throne room. And and this is where we meet um, Zeus and Poseidon for the first time. They're they're, you know, these two people who have driven this entire novel with their disagreement. Brotherly conflict. Brotherly conflict. We, we should probably talk about just like the descriptions of these two people first, because they're so fascinating. Like Z- Zeus is supposed to be. Physically, he's described as, like, wearing a suit, having a trimmed beard, black hair, light eyes, etc. He's portrayed as sort of similar to the other gods, right? He, he, he's also petty. We can see in, in his dialogue yeah. that he is proud and mad, but more so than the other gods we've seen, he has, you know, he has the firepower to back it up. And people yeah. are, everyone's afraid of him. Poseidon's very different. Poseidon's kind of chill. Not, not all the way chill, but... He's described as wearing loungewear, basically. He's in his Tommy like Bahamas. Um, he looks like a fisherman. They said that they describe his throne as though it is a like deep sea vehicles fishing chair. I don't really know what that looks like, but it's definitely not Zeus's throne. You know, it's 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 more chill. Um, but also his gaze is kind of impenetrable. We don't know what he's thinking, and he's yeah. sort of mysterious, stormy, but, just like the sea. Yeah. He clearly is friendly, but at the same time, like, you don't know how powerful he is and you don't know when he's going to turn and what he's thinking and what he's going to say, which I think is a really cool embodiment of the ocean, Mm -hmm. just in a beautiful way. Percy is like, oh, my God, that's my dad. Like, he's trying to process his emotions, but at the same time, he needs to be keeping in mind what's going on. And he's like, hey, I have the freaking bolt. I returned the helm of darkness. Like, can you guys please stop fighting? And they're like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> They're basically, basically. Like, oh, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Cool, 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 cool. Thanks for my lightning bolt. Not going to worry about what just happened or the tricks that are being played. Just going to be glad that I have it. And so Zeus is like, so to show you my thanks, I'll spare your life. What? What? Excuse me. <laughs> Calm down. Like, he really, he's like, I'm the most important leader of all of Western civilization. And you're like, please, sir. You don't even know what happened to your own freaking Master Bolt. He's so rude. Take a seat. He basically tells them that he, he he granted them a favor by letting Percy fly to return his own weapon to him after this this quest where they're risking their lives constantly. Zeus is not he, he's not grateful remotely for this, and he's still mad. Somehow, after all of this, he still treats Percy like 
like a like a brat, like a threat. Exactly. Like I would be impertinent as well mm-hmm. if I were being treated like that. And he may not be as bad as Ares and Hades, but he's still not like a nice guy. He's not like a loving father figure. He's not a just ruler. Yeah, he's very much not a just ruler. After this whole deal is sorted out, Percy and Poseidon have their first chat. And it's this really interesting, like, heart-to-heart moment between them where Poseidon can't say much, but he basically says, like, I'm sorry you were born. Um, <laughs> my bad. And Percy is like, do you think I'm a mistake in his head? And Poseidon is like, you're going to probably not have a happy life. And Percy's like, wait, what? Like, this is not how I wanted this conversation <laughs> to go. But then he's like, know that you're my son and, like, I see you. Loki, thank you. And also your mom will be back home. Hades returned her. Yes. And your so mom is a queen among mortals. We love that. Oh my God. Where's the lie? Nowhere. Where's the lie? No, true. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird conversation because it seems that Poseidon really does care about Percy and know things about him and sort of follow what's up with his life. But also there's such an unmistakable distance between them where Poseidon isn't trying to hug him. He's not trying to go home with him. He's not, um, yeah. you know, saying stuff like, I love you. I'm I love you. you. Yeah, it's none of that. It's just this this sort of like distant relationship where he's saying, I, I do care about you and I want you to succeed, but this is really hard and I'm not going to be there for you in that close of a capacity. And I can't. That, that he, that he, that he like b- believes in him and that that's what yeah. what matters more than i guess love yes companionship yes we all we should also mention that um zeus and poseidon after percy reports back on this mission you know he he alludes to someone's maybe controlling Ares. we heard something from the pit he relays all of their sort of other concerns about the mission and zeus and poseidon have this quick sidebar in ancient greek and we get that they're saying father <gasps> father Kronos? is he back but also zeus pulls a real cornelius fudge we're not going to talk about it out of sight out of mind and he just disappears and says it's probably fine chill out thanks bye what which is really terrible really embarrassing on their part embarrassing You're just like what the heck like i get it storytelling wise we need to be able to leave and end the story on a somewhat conclusive note, but you're still like, why? How are you just letting this slide? How are we just supposed to move on? So they leave Olympus, Grover, Percy, Annabeth. They're like, well, I guess I just am going to go now. And Percy has this reunion with his mom back in the apartment, but Gabe is still there and he's like worse than ever. And he, we get this like the moment Sally returned, Gabe made her go back to work like a wench when she is a queen. But Percy is so glad to see his mom and his mom is just chill. She's like, thanks, Percy. Like, thanks for saving my life. My lovely son. Are you okay? How are you doing? And he like relays this whole story and he's so sick of Gabe. And he has this like realization that for whatever reason in this moment, he knows that Gabe has been hitting his mom. We are confirmed 10 out of 10. Gabe is a Mm -hmm. domestic abuser. We need him out of there. Percy's only goal right now is to get Gabe away from his mother and his family. And he has this little conversation with his mom. Page 352. You deserve better than this, mom. You should go to college, get your degree. You can write your novel, meet a nice guy maybe, live in a nice house. You don't need to protect me anymore by staying with Gabe. Let me get rid of him. She wiped a tear off her cheek. You sound so much like your father, she said. He offered to stop the tide for me once. He offered to build me a palace at the bottom of the sea. He thought he could solve all my problems with the wave of his hand. What's wrong with that? Her multicolored eyes seem to search inside me. I think you know, Percy. I think you're enough like me to understand. 
If life is going to mean anything, I have to live it myself. I can't let a god take care of me or my son. I have to find the courage on my own. Your quest has reminded me of that. Sally, so powerful. She's like, I get that you're all powerful now, my son, and you defeated like all of this stuff, but like you can't take care of me. Like, I gotta do this myself. It's gonna be powerful. She is Percy's, you know, basically Mm -hmm. single parent. And she's at the end of the day, like his number one influence and guide. And she's telling him, like, you make your own fate. You are not going to be at the hands of the gods. Yes. Even your own father. Yes. Yeah. That's an important, powerful influence. We need Percy to be, you know, to, to get that little bit of um, impertinence. At, th- at this point, after this conversation, Percy, he, he, you know, he, he leaves it to Sally to take care of it. But he also leaves her with a little gift to help her take care of it, which is Medusa's head. Medusa's head, which Percy sent to Olympus. Poseidon got redirected to, to his house. And so it's there waiting. <laughs> and Percy just leaves it with his mom. And so we're, we're like, they never say this explicitly, but it's basically implied that Percy's mom... Murders Gabe. <laughs> like, and we're so cool with him. Yes. He gets a letter later on that's like, I sold a statue called the Gambler. She literally murders it's not him. Gabe, but Gabe's gone. <laughs> and they have this conversation. They talk oh about God. Percy's like goals, and his mom really wants to have him near him, but Percy's like, nah, I gotta go back. And she's like, no, you're right. And so Percy goes back to camp. And when they arrive at camp, they are greeted. Like magical, fantastic heroes, which they are, which is fun. And they do this thing where every time heroes go on quests, their cabin makes them burial shrouds because we just like, you know, assuming you're going to come back dead. But they didn't. And so they get to like burn the burial shrouds and have a nice Apollo campfire sing along, which is so fun. And like the Ares (laughs) cabin made Percy's burial shrouds. So it's like stupid, which is funny because they still hate him. Obviously, I mean, they probably hate him even more now if they heard that like he slashed their father. And uh, the Council of Cloven Elders is very pleased with Grover. Um, <laughs> tails and horns above everyone else or something like that. And they're giving him his searcher's license, which is yay, so exciting. And he like heads out yes. basically to go and look for Pan. Huge deal. Very dangerous, but it's what he's always wanted to do. And so it's really great that he like ended up being able to prove himself on this quest, which was like his last out of this impossible mission that no one has ever returned from alive. I wonder what's going to happen there. Yeah, Gas. and the bead for the summer because <laughs> at every at the end of every summer a camp they make a new bead for everyone's necklaces that has like the defining moment of that summer and it's a trident. Wow, powerful! Percy is so <laughs> special, but he's like, "Oh shucks, guys, thanks." <laughs> and then it's like, okay, like I guess all is well. There's still a lot of loose ends here. Like, who is controlling also, Ares? Also, the prophecy. All of this stuff. Right, you will be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. Was that yeah. Ares, maybe? Unclear. That seems like not a great answer. He's like, this isn't sitting well with me, but whatever. And it's like the end of the summer and he's like, am I going to go back home or am I going to become a year rounder now? Because like a lot of the really powerful kids will just stay there all the time so they don't get killed by monsters in the real world. And then he like is hanging out with Luke. Sees Luke slice, slicing stuff up in the sword fighting arena. And Luke is like, let's let's have some Cokes. And so they go and drink Coke, which is weird because you're not supposed to have like brands and camp. So that's a little iffy. And then they go into the woods and they're just like hanging out and they're having this conversation. And Luke is like, not that stoked. Like he he seems to be maybe it's jealous of Percy or resentful that Percy came back Mm -hmm. from his quest. Yes. Having done really well. And he's like, do you miss it? 
And Percy's like, I mean, I guess. And he's like, do you miss it? And Luke's like, his scar like deepens and like he looks like an evil old man. And he starts talking. And we also we see like he's got this crazy sword that is like half celestial bronze, half regular metal that can kill humans. Why? Very weird. Terrifying. Scary. Very illegal. (laughs) And we get what becomes his evil villain speech. This is page 365 for those of you reading along at home. You will be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. You, I said. He stood calmly and brushed off his jeans. The scorpion paid him no attention. It kept its beady black eyes on me, clamping its pincers as it crawled onto my shoe. I saw a lot out there in the world, Percy, Luke said. Didn't you feel it? The darkness gathering, the monsters growing stronger? Didn't you realize how useless it all is? All the heroics, being pawns of the gods. They should have been overthrown thousands of years ago, but they've hung on, thanks to us, half-bloods. I couldn't believe this was happening. Luke, you're talking about our parents, I said. He laughed. That's supposed to make me love them? Their precious Western civilization is a disease, Percy. It's killing the world. The only way to stop it is to burn it to the ground. Start over with something more honest. You're as crazy as Ares. His eyes flared. Ares is a fool. He never realized the true master he was serving. If I had time, Percy, I could explain. But I'm afraid you won't live that long. Whoa. <laughs> I, mean, I had a serious whoa moment reading this again. Yes. <laughs> I got a very different experience of this hero's journey reading it as a mm-hmm. child than I did now because we are served on a platter this hero's journey with Percy where Luke essentially in this final conflict is the villain. Mm-hmm. But he seems to also, in certain ways, be someone I would just see as a revolutionary. He wants to overthrow the powers that have been creating this polluted, destructive world that we see the Western world be. And I just had all these thoughts about also just like the original parents and what they want and why why they want to now, you know, overthrow. You know, we kind of we kind of know at this point that the voice is probably Cronus and that you know, what does he want with his children and what they have done in the same way that now their children are like doing their dirty work. And it's a whole connection of complicated stuff where it's kind of hard to say who the real hero, I guess, is going to be. It's like this. I mean, the, the story of Greek mythology, like so many and like pretty much every hero's journey, right, is the corn king. So that it's the the child rising up against the father. That was Zeus rising up against Cronus. And we're supposed to think that that's a positive thing because it's always progress and it's always like the young beating the old is always supposed to be how things go and how our stories go. And that is right. Mm -hmm. And now Luke is saying it's time for me to rise up. And in his mind, he's simply fulfilling like his job, like as the next person to like take over. But low-key, he's also operating under the original parents who were overthrown. So it's this complicated thing of, like, first of all, like, just because a child wants to overthrow their parent, that doesn't mean they're right. And second of all, Luke is is not only doing that, he is trying to restore things to how they once were, which, on one hand, sounds a lot like people who think that repeating history is not a negative thing, as we see. But on uh, on another hand, like... We know that the gods are terrible. And besides Poseidon, we haven't seen anything positive in any of these gods. So, like, obviously, like, we kind of see what Luke is is saying here. Like, yeah. And so does Percy. Like, yes. Percy's impertinence is, is being triggered here. Like, he wants to be recognized by his father. He's been a pawn of the gods for this entire book. 
Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of charged with protecting the world they've they've created, protecting the status quo, protecting the sanctity of all of Western civilization. Yes, it's very difficult because obviously, like we we, we don't have a lot of reason to assume that Kronos is going to do a great job, but no. also like Luke's Luke's diagnosis of the problem is something that we really are very empathetic towards. Especially, you know, he he does some structural work where he basically says Western civilization, you know, is bad, etc. But he also gives this long personal speech about how he feels neglected by his dad, Hermes, who gave him, you know, this quest that is kind of boring and was already done before. He, He feels like his dad wasn't paying attention to him, wasn't treating him with respect. You know, like specifically, he's honing in on his relationship with his dad and in general half-blood relationships as 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 one of the most egregious forms of, yeah, inequity and manipulation in the system. And Percy's reaction is interesting because he, you can tell that he sort of buys into it, but he also has a lot of level in which he's very reflexively defending the gods too, right? He, his first response is, but they're, they're your parents. It's your family. How can you do this? And that's something that yeah, that, that piece of it is something that we're definitely going to see complicated more as this challenge right. continues. Because Percy's instinct to be like, but they're your family. I mean, they're all family. Like mm. <laughs> Zeus rose up against his dad. If anything, Luke is only sticking up for his grandfather or great grandfather. I can't remember who Hermes is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they're all related. So this idea that like you're loyal to your family is very contentious and, and not mm-hmm. there's just a lot. Percy has to form his own critical consciousness about who he wants to be loyal to in this moment but he doesn't really have time because the scorpion yeah. attacks him and he like passes out luke is such a great villain he, he gives me similar energy to like killmonger i just want to put that oh, out there um yes. as a point of comparison i was thinking this also as i was rereading recently because also i've watched black panther like four times <laughs> since being in quarantine um, luke is simply pointing out yes the issue and it may be that the way he's going about structural change is wrong and more violent and less tactical than we want but he is standing on firm ground here and we very much understand where he's coming from and we need to listen to him i feel like the biggest similarity to me is that like they have a very correct diagnosis and then we have to see them do a lot of violence very early on so that you as the reader viewer like (laughs) are sort of handheld into believing that they are in fact the villain right but we haven't seen luke do anything crazy violent yet other than like basically try to murder Percy. Right now, this is the moment where we're getting mad, but like he's still really yes. hot and <laughs> charming. He is still through all of this really hot. Yes, yeah. and then he gets he gets scary, and then he gets hot again in the very last book. But there's a long journey to go before that. So Luke tries to murder Percy, and he basically like disappears, and then Percy <laughs> wakes up full circle in the infirmary with Annabeth taking care of him. Once again, again, she's saving his life. And Percy is like, what the heck just happened? Like, oh my God, I relays all this information about Cronus. And like, Chiron is like, oh, I feared as much. And Annabeth is like, gosh, dang it. And Percy's like, what are we going to do? And just like the gods, he's like, we can't really do anything about it right now. You should train slash take the year. And Percy and Annabeth together decide that they are going to go back home for the year, which is big for Annabeth because she's been a year-round camper since she got to Camp Affluent. So she's going to give it another try with her family. But it's just, nothing's resolved. Like, (laughs) this book, talk about a cliffhanger ending. Like, it's not like they're at a brink of life or death. It's like, we're on the brink of a gigantic war. And we have so many questions when we're finishing this book. And we're like, literally, what did you just throw at us in these past four pages, Rick? How am I supposed to handle that? Yes. 
Tawny, we have a couple questions for you. Oh, great. <laughs> You've been nice and silent until weighing in on how Western civilization <laughs> is a disease. So I'm very excited to ask you these questions. The first and most important question is, do you believe that Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? Um, okay, so I thought about this a bit today. I, I would say short answer, yes. It's It's really, really important. I think... I think what it does right is that it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't like try to make like a will they, won't they sexualized mm-hmm. relationship out of these 12 year olds. Um, like it's not a romance novel. It's, it's a hero's journey. So it's very much secondary to the, the journey they take as human beings. Exactly. The series and that yes. it, it lets them like through strengthening their friendship throughout the series, like, develop their love you know and that the I guess the, the concept of gender in general I think throughout the series is very not that the traditional gender roles aren't as enforced I feel like especially in their relationship is that they're both warriors they're both fighting in this war he's not you know saving her or you know swallowing her like they're very much are like on the same level and are just like two people growing and finding love so it was very important to me growing up. I, I love Persebeth very much. <laughs> Yay. I agree with all of that, obviously. And second question is, and I might know your answer to this already based on your response. <laughs> Do you think it's worth going to all this trouble to save Western civilization? AKA, what do you think about Luke and his ideas? Well, I, I guess I already said a lot. But I, I would say I think it gets very tricky when I kind of think, first of all, like in Western civilization, in capitalism, like we have already commodified human life. And so to break out of that structure is in terms of how Luke intends to go about it or hopes to go about it, it will cost human life. Like he has a literal sword where it is able to kill anybody. Yep. And both sides are going to have some, yeah, some casualties. Yes. And so I think it's a question of who can do it right. And that I guess perhaps Luke is not that person. Like he, he can say it right, but I don't, I don't know that Luke is going to be the one to save the world. (laughs) And I, I don't know. I think that it's, it's a lot to put on the backs of 12 year old children, (laughs) But we do it every day. We do it in, in every day in our in our education system, in how we bring up our children in the West, in this country. That yeah, like you know, we are putting a lot on our You're kids the future. To, to, to yes, to uphold the entire future of the systems that were built long before us. So I, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's complicated. I don't know. <laughs> I hope that there is a way to think about it without the, the the constant violence and war and the things that are about to come upon us in this series. Wow, that was that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tani, for joining us Thank today you. and offering your wise insights at the end here. That is literally the end of The Lightning Thief, the first book. So thank you to whoever is listening to this and has made it through this first book with us. Um, We're going to be jumping right on in to Sea of Monsters next. So see you then. Bye. All right. Bye. Peace. (laughs)